imagine with me that your boss offers you a raise and your first immediate reaction is to just say, no thanks. It doesn't happen, right? Like we're going to say, give it to me every time. Because for the, for the last week and this week and next week, we're doing some, something kind of different together. We're talking about a couple elephants in the room. And the elephant in the room is this thing where there's an awkward tension mounting kind of thing where something's wrong, but no one wants to talk about it, right? Like if there was an elephant on stage, everybody would be like, uh, what is that? But so, so there's some elephants in the room about a lot of things, but there's a couple elephants in the room in particular when it comes to money. And money itself is kind of like this elephant in the room where nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody, nobody really wants to share with anybody. So what we're going to do here in this next moment is I'm going to ask you to lean into your neighbor and just tell them what your annual salary is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That'd be really weird. For some of you, you'd be like, $7. <laughs> but we're, we're talking about money. Last week, if you weren't here, we talked about debt. And we talked about how the elephant in the room about debt is that so many of us just flat out have too much bad debt. And we talked about how it was a chain that was weighing us down and, and how, how it was kind of breaking us as, as a family and how it could be hurting us as a church and all these things that debt does for us. And I, and I want you to know, and I said this last week and I'll say it next week, there is nothing I hate more than talking about money. Like, so six weeks before this, we spent talking about politics, and I made Hillary fans mad, I made Trump fans mad, I made Patriots mad, I made people who hate America mad. Everyone disagreed with something I said in the last six weeks, and I'm still more nervous to talk to you today about money than I was to talk to you about politics. <laughs> like, it's this thing where it's like, of course the preacher's gonna say that everybody's, you know, money, money, blah, blah. But here's the thing. When we talk about money here at Highland, it's not because we want something from you. It's because we want something for you. And so when we talk about money, we don't just say, all of your money problems go away if you write as big a check as possible to the church. We try to spend two-thirds of our time talking about how you manage your personal money before we ever get into how giving needs to be a part of your life. It's because we want something for you, not something from you. And so today we're going to talk about an elephant in the room that is true in my life, and it's most likely true in your life, too. This elephant in the room this week is that all of us wish we had a little bit more. All of us think we should or could or would like to make just a little bit more money. Here's how I know that's true. I know that's true because the internet never lies to me, and I took a survey on Facebook this week. And I asked all of my Facebook friends, I said, tell me if you'd like a raise. Like if you would take a raise, I, went, I walked them through the imaginary scenario that I did to you. And almost 95% of my friends said that, that, yes, they would take the raise. The other 5% I actually privately messaged and said, uh, I have a counseling group for people who are addicted to lying. If you ever need to come to it, just let me know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So like a major large majority of my friends said, yes, if there was more money as an option, I would take it. And so this is the part where you brace down, right? Because the preacher's about to say, you're all a bunch of sinners and money is evil. And, you know, like that's what's going to happen next, right? Like that's how it goes at church is the preacher tells you money's bad. Well, I want to I kind, of, kind of dispel that myth really quickly. What happens a lot when you talk about spirituality, when you talk about church, is that people kind of get this, this idea that money is inherently evil, 
And the reason they do is because they misquote this verse. It's from 1 Timothy chapter 6, and it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And so what Paul is saying here, and it needs to be very clear, is he's not saying that money is evil. He's not saying that earning money is a sin. What he says is that the obsession of money is that loving money over everything else, is that choosing money as your top priority is the problem, is the evil. The issue with following Jesus is not money and it isn't net worth. The issue is what your heart loves. And so when we talk about money here, we're not talking about your bank account. We're not talking about your checkbook. The first and foremost thing we have to talk about is what your heart loves. Because you'll meet people, I can guarantee, you will meet people who will tell you that you are too rich to be a follower of Jesus. And then you'll meet other people who will tell you that you're too poor to be a follower of Jesus because if you just have enough faith, he'll give you more. And you'll meet people on either side who will try and twist and turn scripture to say whatever it is they want. There are people who will tell you the story of the rich young ruler. And it's the story of a guy who comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus very specifically, how can I earn my way into heaven? And Jesus tells him, he says, you're trying to earn your way into heaven. The only way you can do it is to give up the idol of money. And he said, so sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the guy walks away because he's not willing to give up his love of money. But there are other people who Jesus meets who are just as rich as the rich young ruler who Jesus doesn't command to sell everything they have. There are people who Jesus meets who have lots of money who Jesus uses their resources as a way to advance the kingdom. And there are people who Jesus meets who he tells, in order for you to be a part of the kingdom, you're going to need to understand you're going to have to be poor. But there are just as many people who he meets who he doesn't condemn for their wealth. Because the issue is not net worth. The issue is about our heart. And so anyone who tells you that you can't be rich and be a Christian, anyone who tells you that you can't be wealthy and be a Christian is taking scripture and trying to use it to either A, make you give them your money so that they become rich and you become poor, or B, they're telling you a lie. I love what Dave Ramsey says about wealth. Dave Ramsey says, this way. He said that if you say managing wealth is evil, then by default, you leave all the wealth to the evil people. If we abandon money to be good, then all of the wealth that we had goes into the hand of the pimp, the drug dealer, and the, pro- and the pornographer. And he makes such a great point where he says, if, if Christians say we can't earn money and no Christian ever earns money, then eventually all of the money ends up in the hands of the people who Christians are not. And so what Jesus is trying to say here is he's trying to say, this is so much about your heart. This is so much about what you love, about what you care about, about what you're passionate about. And so we're going to talk about that heart issue, and we're going to do it in a, in a book of the Bible, Matthew chapter 25. It's toward the end of your Bible. It's, it's called one of the Gospels. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 today. If you have it on your phone, you can open it up, or you can grab a Bible in front of you. But we're going to be there, and it's in the midst of these multiple stories that Jesus tells. And he's, he knows that he's getting ready for the end of his life, and so he's preparing his friends for what's next. 
And he tells some stories about the end of time. He tells some stories about the end of the world, about the last days. And, and before you get in a tizzy, we're not talking about like the, the tribulation Armageddon kind of stuff. We're talking about Jesus is trying to show what's most important. And so he's telling these stories, and, and I, I want to kind of apologize to you because I told you this story back in May a little bit, but it's such an important story that I'm going to tell it to you again because <laughs> you probably don't remember that I told you anyway. And you're like, May, did I come to church in May? No, it was sunny. Okay, like that's how it's going. So, so we're going to be in Matthew. Hey, I don't talk like that. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. How did you know what I was thinking? I'm going to stop. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells this story. He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went away. And so it's this story about a man who's going on a journey. And this journey that he's going, he's not looking for a dog sitter for a week for while he's on vacation. He's going on a journey that most likely is going to take months, if not years. And so while he's on this journey, he entrusts to his servants, he gives them some of his, his money. And talents is kind of a funny word to use for money, but it's the way, the way the, the, uh, the, the Greek is written there, and that's kind of how it translates. But a talent is roughly something like 20 years' salary. So this isn't like a drop-in-the-bucket kind of money. If it was an average person in Maysville, they would be making about $50,000 a year. So you multiply 50000 out times 20 years' salary, and that's a lot of money, right? Anybody know? It's a million dollars, right? Like, so they're, they're, he hands these guys these coins, these, these pieces of money worth a million dollars a piece in 2016 in Maysville, roughly. And he hands the first guy five talents. So he hands this guy five million dollars. And he hands the second guy two million dollars. And these guys, they're the kind of guys who were making $50,000 before. This isn't a a rich friend who's managing it. This is you being an average $50,000 a year or so salary guy or gal who gets a million dollars in your pocket, five million dollars in your pocket like that. And he tells them, he says, your responsibility is to manage this while I'm gone. And what he means by manage is he means make my money work. Make my money make money for me right? And he continues in verse 16, says, he who had had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. So this is, this is kind of the the thing, like we're looking for a return on our investment, right? If you're an, an adult, which probably just means older than me at this point, <laughs> you have a retirement account, right? And your goal for your retirement account is to do what? Is to grow so that eventually someday, maybe when you're 92, you can retire. And so what you want your manager of your account to do is make money for you, right? Like that's the goal. So this is what he's trying to do is he's trying to get a return on his investment. And, and to the first two guys, the ones who he entrusted $7 million to, he gets a return on his investment that is 100%. Most of the time, my financial advisor, who usually calls to say, do you have any more? <laughs> no. But anyways, my financial advisor tells me we're happy with 8% growth in a year. These guys are getting 100% growth. That's incredible. And so you kind, of, you kind of see this and you think, yeah, if I had a million dollars, I bet I could make a million dollars too. 
But you want to know some really interesting facts about people in the United States who are considered millionaires? This means that their, their net worth is at least a million dollars. It doesn't mean that they're, and we're not talking just Donald Trump and Bill Gates, we're talking the average American millionaire. Do you want to know some of the really interesting stats about them? The first is that 80% are self-made, meaning they did not get rich because of a because of a loan from their parents or inheritance from their parents. They, they are self-made in the fact that they started from the bottom, now they're here, right? Like that's kind of how it goes for them. They made their money. They didn't come for, into a family business. They made it on their own. The second thing is that the average home value of a millionaire in America today is $320,000. Depending on which statistic you read, it's within about $30,000 of the average cost of an American home today. Most millionaires, you, most millionaires live in an average size house in 2016. The, the next most interesting thing about millionaires is that most of them say they wear inexpensive clothing and specifically off-brand watches. I found this really fascinating because like, as the article dug into more about them, it said the interesting thing about inexpensive clothing isn't that they don't wear name brand, it's that they don't buy name brand at retail price. It's that they look for sales and deals. Most millionaires, it says, use coupons when they get them in the mail. Not at Kroger with the binder going crazy. Like, that's not millionaires because they don't need 48 bars of deodorant. But millionaires, millionaires look for deals and are often frugal. Another really interesting stat about the millionaires is that most of them said that they would consider the vacations they go on normal vacations. This means they go to Disney World for five days, complain about spending too much money, say it's too hot, and swear they're never going back again, right? Like, you think of a millionaire going on vacation, and you think they're going to Cabo for nine weeks and just doing whatever they want, but they're going on vacation probably very similarly to how you and I do. The most interesting fact about millionaires in America today is that a large majority of them said they don't watch Dancing with the Stars, I, I don't know anything about positive or negative correlation. I, I just think that's a really important stat. Like, I'm on my way to being a millionaire because I've never seen the show. Like, I'm, I'm going to get there, right? But here's the most important fact about the average millionaire in the United States today is that they are meticulous budgeters. It means that no matter how much money you think they have, no matter how much money you think they spend, they know where every dime is and where every dollar is going. Millionaires became millionaires, not because they won the lottery, but because they were a meticulous budgeter who made good and frugal choices, who managed the money that they had and that they were given and that they earned well. So here, here's the deal, right? Like, I am not one of those preachers who's going to stand up here and say, you can become a millionaire too. Like, I, I don't think God's number one priority or number 10 priority is for you to become a millionaire. But I do believe that, that God has entrusted you with money and with things with the purpose of you using them. And so I don't, I don't think that God promises millions to you. I don't, I don't think God promises the world to you. But instead, I think that he says you have been given a gift and we expect you to manage it well. And so this is what happens. But there are some people, though, who hear those stats. And there are people who hear those kinds of stories and they go, yeah, it must be nice to be rich. I didn't get that luck. You end up being like the third guy. And the third guy, there's always the third guy in a story, isn't there? And the third guy is the guy who is the last of the three managers. And it's a he who had received the one talent 
went in and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So no doubt he saw the first guy get five million. He saw the second guy get two million. And he goes, this isn't fair. I got, I got one. One million dollars? What am I supposed to do with a million dollars? And so rather than, rather than go and try and do something with it, rather than try and prove him wrong, his response is to bury it in the dirt. His response is to say, fine, if all you think of me is one talent worth, if you think of that guy's worth five talents, I'll show you. I'll show you I'm not worth any talents, right? Like, like that's what he's doing. He's really angry and upset because he didn't get as many talents as the other guy. And I read this story and I go, man, that guy is so dumb. And then I go, oh, I think I'm that guy. I think I'm that guy because I, I look at my, my paycheck and I think it's not as much as that guy. So you know what? <laughs> or, or I look at, at my house and I think, um, it's not as big as their house. <sighs> I'm just not as lucky as them. Like, and that happens so often, doesn't it, where we choose to get bitter and angry and selfish because things just aren't going like we wanted them to. Because things don't look like what we deem as fair. But the challenge in this story is to not be the third guy. The challenge in the story is to choose differently. Verse 19 says, After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he gets rewarded with more. I want to I be very careful because I understand that this is like really thin ice to skate on here. Like if I start telling you that if you manage your money well, God's going to make you rich, then you're going to be like, I've had a budget for years and I'm still broke. Like I, I understand that I'm not trying to make that promise because I don't think that's God's goal. But the point that Jesus is making in this story isn't you can get rich. The point that Jesus is making in this story is that those who follow his plan, is that those who, who choose to do what he has called them to do will receive blessings. And I don't think that it necessarily means in your bank account. It may very well mean in, in, in the next life. Because part of budgeting, part of being a meticulous planner, part of managing your money well is understanding that everything that matters isn't just in this world. Part of having the, the mindset that Jesus wants us to have about money is being the kind of person who says, because there's something better for me after this life, I'm not going to spend everything I have trying to impress people in this life. In verse 22, the, the second guy comes and he says, he who had two talents came forward and said, master, you've delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And it's the same story. He manages the money well. He gets the return on investment that the master had wanted. And the master said, you know what? It's not about how much you made because you didn't make as much as that guy. But what matters more is that you did what I asked you to do. What matters more than how much he made is the attitude that he had and the heart that he had behind it. And he said, I'm going to take what you've given me and I'm going to do the best I can with it. I tell you stories all the time about my dad. Uh, 
he's going to watch this later, so we're going to edit this part out, but it's because he's the smartest person in the whole world. The only flaw in his character is that he's a University of Tennessee fan. Um, so he's not the smartest person in the world, but he's close. But I, I told you this same story last week that I came home with my first paycheck, and he said, how much of that is going in savings? And I said, none of it. And he said, if you don't save now, you won't save when you're an adult. And he was so right because it's infinitely harder at this point when I have a full-time job and a full-time salary to look, at that, to look at that check compared to those measly minimum wage salaries I made when I was a kid working as a busboy and say, I want to save just a portion of this because I didn't have to save any of that. And so the point of the, the two talents versus the five talents is it doesn't matter which side of those you end up on. The fact of the matter, what's most important is that you're managing what you have well. And the third, the third servant comes back in, and I'm going to summarize it because we're running out of time. But the third servant comes back in, and he says, Master, basically what he says is, I don't like you. I'm angry with you. I think, you, I think you're unfair. And so what I did is I, I went and hid your money. And he says, here's your one talent back that you gave me. I didn't earn any interest. I didn't bother working for it. This is all you get. And the master's mad at him. And he's not mad because he didn't, he didn't think it was fair. He's not mad because he didn't do what he asked him to do. He's mad because he's like, man, all you had to do is just leave it at the bank, and at least I could have gotten interest on it. But instead, you did the most awful thing you could do, and you just buried it in the ground. And he's saying, how, how dare you? Because I entrusted you with this, and your response was to be mad at me? Your response was to be angry? You had a million dollars. And your response was to be upset. And I think for a lot of us, most of the time, whether we want to admit it or not, we find ourselves in the third camp. We find ourselves in the third camp because, like I said, because somebody's car is fancier than ours. We find ourselves in the third camp because somebody's house has more bells and whistles. We find ourselves in the third camp because that guy doesn't work as hard as me and somehow he has more money. Because that girl's not as honest as me and somehow she has more money. And we find ourselves in that camp because we're consistently saying what matters to me most is money and stuff. And so I, I think for us, especially because it's Thanksgiving week, I, I think the most important thing that we can do is understand that our heart, first and foremost, has to be focused on gratitude. It has to be focused on gratitude for what we have to say that the, the talent, the million dollars that I've already been given is more than enough. And I know that's a hard truth for some of you to swallow because you're thinking, I, I'm barely making it. But here's, here's, here's the cold hard fact. The fact that you were born in this country or live in this country puts you in the top 5% richest people in the entire world. In the country of 330 million people, 5% of the world's population, we hold 20% of the world's wealth. 33% of Americans own at least three cars in their house. 33% of households own at least three cars. And there are countries in Africa and South America and East Asia where per 1,000 people there are less than three cars. So we have households with two people and three cars, and there are countries in the world where there are less than three cars per 1,000 people. As a country, 
We spend more on trash bags than 50% of the world spends on all of their consumable goods in a year. So over the course of one year in the United States, we spend more money on the bags that hold the stuff we're throwing away than 50% of the world spends on the things they're going to eat, to sleep in, and to wear. And so for us, the number one lesson that we have to learn about money management isn't about a strategy, it's not about a plan, it's not about how to get rich quick. The number one lesson we have to learn is we have to learn to be content with what you have and be thankful that it is more than enough. And I will be the first one to admit that that is a lot more difficult than it sounds. That is a hard pill to swallow. Because I can, I can get focused on stuff and on shiny things. Because I, I can have the hopes and dreams with the best of them. But the life that I, I've chosen to live as a person who follows Jesus is a life that's different than the rest of them. Because Jesus reminds us time and time again that the goal for us isn't to be he who dies with the most toys. The goal for us isn't to take it all with us. The goal for us isn't to do everything we can to get as rich as possible. The goal for us is to be focused not in this world, but in the world that's promised to us. And so for us, gratitude is a lot more simple when we're willing to admit that what matters most isn't my money, isn't my bank account, but what matters most is the promise that I have in the future. So here's what we're going to do in the next few moments. In the next few moments, the men are going to pass the bread and the cup, and they're going to pass these as a reminder, and we take this reminder every week. And it's a reminder of Jesus who said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And it's a reminder of the hope that Jesus gives us of that better place, of that next life. And it's the hope that Jesus says, because of this, because of heaven, because of the opportunity that you have, that your money, your bank account, your, 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 checking, your checkbook, your credit card, none of that matters in comparison to the promise of heaven. And so I want to challenge you over these next few moments as the bread and cup come to take the time, to take that minute to yourself and just say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that this means that I have more than enough.